it's become really important that the whole world get to see this and have no have no barrier of, of any kind to access. So please, if you can, just share it with everyone on your on your database and make sure you know everyone gets access and has an opportunity to watch it. Hi, my name is Anne McElhenney. Hello, and I'm Phil McAleer. And welcome to uh, the Anne and Film Scoop. To the Anne and Film Scoop. It's kind of, a kind of an unusual Anne and Film Scoop this week because we've been travelling. Unfortunately, a friend of ours died and we went to a funeral in Scotland. And we're going to tell you more about that um, yes. later on. Yes, and uh, this show was brought to you by Bud Light, um, which is truly American, just like us. Um Absolutely, 100%. Horses, American football, Memorial Day. Very important to remember that the movie is now available for free. I'm moving right along from the <laughs> whole um, Bud Light situation. We've decided, look, I told you last week how the Congress, Congressional Visitor Centre, funded by the taxpayers, open to all, you know, a place where ideas should go and be talked about and thrashed around. Don't want the, my son Hunter to be shown in the Congressional Visitor Centre in their lovely auditorium because they don't want the truth in the heart of Congress. Uh, so they banned it. So we were going to give it out for free anyway uh, because we because you funded it and it's important that you get access to it. So we've just decided now, not right on, just it's free, mysonhuntermovie.com. And every, yeah, I mean, you, you know, you funded it and um, I think that, it, it's it's become really important that the whole world get to see this and have no have no barrier of, of any kind to access. So, please, if you can, just share it with everyone on your on your database and make sure you know everyone gets access and has an opportunity to watch it. It stars Lawrence Fox, Robert, directed by Robert Dabby, written by Brian Godawa. It's fun. It's absurd. It's a docudrama in some respects too. It's a biopic. It's a little bit naughty, right? So if you're uh, if you're sensitive in that way, um, look, you can't tell. The debauched, corrupt life of Joe Biden, of Hunter Biden, <laughs> and Joe Biden, by the way, uh, without showing some debauchery and corruption. There's no nudity or anything like that. But look, it is, it's, it's, um, it's mature content. So if if that's something that would affect you, you don't watch it. But if you think you know someone who would like to know that, know the facts, please. Forward it. It's mysonhuntermovie.com. Mysonhuntermovie.com. You, you can also watch, I think, the first 20 minutes of it on Twitter. Yeah, we thought that would be kind of cool. We think we might be the very first film that's ever sort of premiered on Twitter. We yes. like the idea of that. Um, and as you might notice, it's um, so it's been Memorial Day weekend and uh, we got back on Memorial Day and it's the weather is just unbelievable. It's in, continuing in to be Los in Los Angeles, in Southern California. It's still cold. Um, we, you know, this is what this is what climate change does, apparently. You yes. know, and uh, yet no one's sort of saying that because um, mm. it's not very dramatic. The weather isn't dramatic in any way. It's just miserable. Yes. Um, so I think it'd be very funny and poetic justice for somewhere that's promoted climate change so violently. As climate, ta- climate change alarmism. Climate change alarmism so violently as California that they would get you know a little dose of what it's like to live in Ireland yes. permanently and have that those grey skies and um, we, honestly they're having they're like literally doing sort of PSAs on the TV you know public public so announcements the, to try and work out how the, to deal with your depression with the grey skies This is the end skies. of May beginning of June and we Still have cold. not had good weather uh, it rained for most of January and February did it I can't even remember now. and then it's just been cold some or version of go- some version of miserable for the last six months basically now, not Minnesota miserable or Michigan miserable or um, you know we're not talking about snow on the ground although there's snow in the mountains uh, a lot of it yes so roll on the summer that's what we say 
Um, so yeah, we were at the the funeral in Scotland. Um, John Bullough. Yes. Who died suddenly. Um, he died at the age of 53, um, completely out of the blue. And, you know, um, it was just very tough. So we went we went to Scotland. A couple of things. To Perth, Scotland, to the most extraordinary funeral because this was a man who was involved in everything. He had been in the Gulf War. He had started... For, for the a, British Army. For the British Army. He had started a charity, an air ambulance charity in Scotland that, you know, who knows how many people were lives were saved. But yeah. he, if ever there was a place that needed an air ambulance, it's, it's, it's the Scotland. Remote, it's the remote parts of Scotland. So how many lives he he's now I think he's responsible for two air ambulances every day saving lives in Scotland. So how many lives has he saved? I mean, and that that involved raising five million pounds sterling. I think a he had, year. In total, I think he had he had he had raised thirty million. I think for the air ambulance, but he had done all, all kinds. Vo- all voluntary. All, all voluntary. He wasn't paid. Um, and he has a lovely wife who's our dear friend, and he has a lovely son. And you know, obviously, very extraordinarily sad situation. He also, by the way, was was instrumental, by the way, in getting the Stone of Destiny, which is a famous film. Do you want to give us the history yes, well, of the Stone of if Destiny? You, you may have noticed there was a recent coronation of a king uh, in England and, and the king of the Great Britain, our United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. And you may have seen some talk about him sitting on the Stone of Destiny. So underneath the, the, the seat where he sits, there's the Stone of Destiny. And uh, that was the Stone of Schoon, which is in Perth, uh, which is has a connection with John. Which gets mentioned, by the way, in Macbeth's Shakespeare. So, I mean, Get you the schoon. Get you the schoon, you know. So, yeah. so um, a huge, huge history. So, the Stone of Schoon was where the kings and queens of England and Scotland used to be coronated or used to be... Uh, they, crowned. They, crowned. I think that's, yes, I think it's crowned. <laughs> crowned. It's the correct So, phrase. they, for, you know, in, in, in the spoils of war, the Stone of Destiny ended up in Westminster Cathedral and it's been a, it's been a sore point. Um, let's just say but John campaigned and campaigned and campaigned and campaigned and now the stone of destiny is returning to Perth after hundreds to Scotland after hundreds of years hundreds of years now it's going to be still brought down to Westminster Abbey for the coronation so he he doesn't want John never wanted to interfere with that Um, John served in the British Army and was proud to do so Um, but he felt the, sco- the stone should come back to close to Schoon, so they're building a museum in Perth for this. And every coronation, they're going to bring it back to Westminster Abbey. So, I mean, the man, Gulf War veteran, er- set up an air ambulance, raised 20 million. Everyone told him it couldn't be done, it would never happen. And he also, I mean, we met him when we lived in Romania. We lived in Romania, some of you probably know that. We lived in Romania for seven years, and um, we met an extraordinary bunch of people there who mm-hmm. basically every one of them turned up for the funeral. Kind of an extraordinary thing. Yes. So people came from, there were people from Australia, people, well, we came from the States, other people came from the States. There were people from just everywhere, all over Europe. Um, and we had this kind of, it was like a kind of a cross between the big chill and four weddings and a funeral with this amazing reunion of people, but under extraordinarily sad circumstances. Um, you know, they had him in a wicker a wicker coffin, which I thought was extraordinary. And then he was piped out by his own son, well, his own son. When they say piped, so the, the bagpipes, the bagpipes. Sc- a Scottish, you know, and sometimes it's a much maligned instrument, but at, Not at, at funerals, yeah. I'll tell you, it comes into its own. So he was piped, piped into the church, wasn't he? I think it was the Royal Argyle. Highlanders, I may be getting that wrong, but an army regiment in full kilt with the, the pipes. And then he was brought up by those gentlemen, those soldiers. And then the king's representative came afterwards and obviously the family and that, but it was the representative of the king at the funeral. And then 
the the service was amazing. Uh, we'll come to what's in the service, but I just want to say at the end, and his son uh, piped him out, as in the son played the bagpipes in front of the uh, coffin, and. Uh, and you know, it was extraordinary. I mean, you um, know, you look at the son and you think he's never going to be able to do this. And he's almost twenty. And, he, and he, he he did it and he did it. What a man! He did it brilliantly. What a man! And then the, then the the the, 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 the soldiers piped him all the way to, well, they through the streets of Perth actually. And well, well, yeah, well, he, yeah, and then we were brought by by pipers through the town, um, which all the tourists were like looking. What was this crowd? But people with uh, piped down to a venue where we had, you know, refreshments afterwards. I mean, just extraordinary. But one of the things, a couple of things that struck me about the service, and I thought was kind of interesting as a kind of a talking point, was um, I've made this point before you know, just with friends that it's really weird. The difference between Protestants and Catholics, that Protestants really, really sing and Catholics for some reason don't. And, In I, church. and I asked somebody after the service, I said, you know, what is it with the Protestants? They're such great. They're just great. They all sing. Everyone sings. And at the service, it meant an awful lot because I think it really buoyed up the family to hear the, the, all the voices of all the people. And the, 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 the church was packed mm-hmm. and there were hundreds of people outside. And somebody said the reason is because the Protestants have the best hymns. And I thought it was an interesting one and just one of the hymns that was sung was Mine Eyes Have Seen the Glory which we know there's a version there's an American version of that that has about the battle hymn what is it Phil? The, the battle, battle hymn of the Republic, of the Republic. That's what's called here but so in the UK they, they just call it Mine Eyes Have Seen the Glory and it was unbelievable Very to hear the, the whole church sing, singing that and then another part of the service I thought I'd read this because I thought it was kind of extraordinary so his his grand uncle John's grandfather. grandfather his grandfather was um, was captured by the Germans the Germans and was put into solitary confinement for two for, years for two years and during that time he started to pen poetry and uh, he wrote a poem which which John has had previously read at his sister's wedding but then was read by um, by members of his family at his funeral and this is the piece that his grandfather had written whilst applies to prisoner of war of the Germans to every life I see how I go with this. To every life there is a break, to every night a dawn. But where's the love without an ache, the rose without a thorn? There is no joy without its pain, no hope without its fear. But see how sunshine follows rain, how every cloud will clear. To every life there is a choice between the right and wrong. But where's the soul without a voice, the bird without a song? There is no good that has no flaw, no light that will not dim. But see how order follows law how every hedge will trim. To every life there is an end, to every wheel a stop. But where is the buy without the spend, the spin without the top? There is no time without its toil, no use without its wear. But see how richly bears the soil, the wealth there is to share. And we will put that up in the show notes so people can have a look at that um, themselves. But just an extraordinary... um, Weird, extraordinary. If you want to time. know more about John, uh, there's can, a lot of news articles you can about him. Google him. It's John Bolo, B U L L O U G H. Yes, right? yeah, John. I mean, he was decorated by very recently by the royal. The, you know, by the, he was made was it, a, it was OBE. He was, was made an OBE by, by and, Princess Royal, there, Princess and, Anne, and Princess Anne gave him gave him his decoration. Um, 
So, okay. But so, yeah, so that's... Uh, what else? I mean... So that's the reason why the show is going to be a little bit shorter today. And we're, what we're going to do is we're also going to bring you um, an interview that we think is well worth listening to again, if you have listened to it. And if you haven't listened to it, please do listen to it. And that's our interview with James O'Keefe. It's never been more important. And I, this is, we want to play it again because I think it, it's, it's myself and James talking about journalism. And it's never been more important to have independent journalism. I'm just looking at some of the news that we picked up when we were over in Europe. I mean, they're talking about banning Twitter in Europe because Twitter won't join this disinformation code of conduct i.e. they won't push a government line on a particular issue and then that's called disinformation so they've withdrawn from that and the French France's digital minister Jean-Noël Barat uh, he said you know disinformation is one of the gravest threats weighing in our democracy Twitter if we're if it repeatedly doesn't follow our rules, will be banned from the EU. Then in Ireland, the Parliament has just passed a so-called hate speech bill. And rather than, you know, if a judge determines that the speech was likely to incite hatred or violence towards members of protected groups, right? <laughs> I so, thought we were all protected. Yeah, yeah. no. Well, only, only certain groups, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, then, then you can be convicted. So the judge can just decide, yep. Yeah, what you said about those trans people are, are um, yes, it's dangerous or it's dangerous. violent could, could lead oh, yeah. to violence um, then then you'll be convicted but it's even worse it's actually there's a thought crime provision so if you're going to give a speech and you write a draft speech even if you haven't given it possession of a draft speech uh, is enough for you to be found guilty and face imprisonment Really, really awful. And, and, and just on the Twitter thing, you, you know, to realise, you know, that, yeah, so the European Union are basically saying, you know, we're going to crack down on this because because Elon Musk won't um, subscribe to this voluntary, by the way, apparently voluntary yes. mis- disinformation uh, code of conduct mm-hmm. because he won't voluntarily do, the, you know, whatever, then, you know, that they're going to ban Twitter, which, which would be with dis- disastrous consequences, by the way. But just to remember... Um, What's happened in the past? You know what's happened in the past. You know what what was considered disinformation. You know Jay Bhattacharya, um, Stanford Public Health PhD. You know Jay Bhattacharya, Doctor Jay Bhattacharya, who's had a, a lifetime of service in to medicine and to public health, particularly. You know was considered disinformation for mm-hmm. simply saying what he knew to be true and what now everyone else knows to be true. So the idea that some kind of, you know, uh, bureaucrat in the European Union would be deciding what is information and what is disinformation, yes. particularly given the, the, re- the very, very recent history we've had with, with COVID, by the way, which yes. was an, um, the, most, the largest disinformation campaign of all time, where every media outlet in the world basically said, take the vaccine, you won't get COVID. And they said, we're, you know, that's the fact. The fact is, if you take the vaccine, it's going to end. It's going to be over. Everything's oh, going, going to end. end. And people did take it. And everyone who took the vaccine, pretty much everyone who took the vaccine got COVID. Um, yeah. You know, people take the vaccine for polio because they don't get polio, yeah. you know, like that. And to eradicate not, polio. Not to, be, not to be like some medical expert here, but, you know, the idea of a vaccine, I was always under the illusion, a bit like Jay Bhattacharya, who I think is under no illusions about anything to do with medicine and is a, is a person that, you know, whose opinion should have been heard and heard a lot. And we know that, that Twitter prior to Elon Musk suppressed him. Mm-hmm. And that's what the whole Twitter files thing was about, was showing all these examples of suppression of speech. And it's it's chilling. It's a chilling effect, by the way. Um, if you have, you know, one ideology, the progressive ideology, who will just be completely, will call anything that disagrees with them, call anything that disagrees with them disinformation and silence it. And nothing good can come yeah. of a world where we don't have any debate. 
Yeah. Nothing good can come Nothing. of that. So it, 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 it's a really chilling situation and yep. something to really worry about. So I think with without further ado, two, tr- things to remember, just remember, please, please do share the movie with everyone that you know. MySonHunterMovie.com. We were so my grateful. MySonHunterMovie.com. We were so grateful to you. You you made this happen. Um, and, you know, the, our idea was always that the whole world would get to see it. And so we're in a position to do that now. And we're so grateful to you for making this happen. Please, please share it. Um, and I think that's basically it for this week. Yes. And we will, yeah, we, we want you to listen to James O'Keefe. Again, share that. Uh, just to remember, this article, this interview was recorded after, shortly after James was deposed or, you know. Ousted. Ousted. From, from the, from the pro- organisation that he, Project that he Veritas. founded. He has now, he's going on to form OMG Media, O'Keefe Media Group, which, by the way, is the best name for any media group on the planet. I'm highly envious of him. So, um, well done, James. Um, and, the, the, you know, this is him and me. Between us, we probably have 50 years of experience of journalism, talking about journalism, and uh, it's important that people... It's never been more important. Yeah. So... We'll go over to that now. Go over we'll that see now. you next week. See you next week. Thank you. Bye. Bye. We have a special, a very, very special show for you uh, this week. We're dedicating the whole show to James O'Keefe, uh, formerly of Project Veritas, but now the Chief Executive Officer of... OMG Media, O'Keefe Media Group. James, welcome to the show. Great to be with you. I, I want to start right at the very beginning when I first met you. And the reality is I can't remember when I first met you. Uh, but I do remember first hearing about you. There was this guy. We had a screening of our movie, uh, Mind Your Own Business, at a screening room in the Pacific Palisades. John Voigt was at the screening. And then there was this guy there, right? And he worked for this website called Drudge. And he was... I remember him standing at our friend's fridge uh, after the screening, telling me how he was going to set up a website. Uh, and the big big thing he was thinking about, he, he was clear it had to be named after his name because Drudge had done that, Huffington had done that. But lots of people were telling him not to call it after his name. And uh, he did, and I'm glad he did because that website was Breitbart. And the person I was talking to was a guy called Andrew Breitbart. And he was telling me about how this site was going to be revolutionary, but they were going to start off with a banger, with a banger story. They were going, you know, that they needed some banger stories. And I then remember being in Andrew's basement, I think, and I think his one employee there, Alex Marlowe, who's mm-hmm. now the editor-in-chief, was there. Mm-hmm. And But very shortly afterwards, your story arrived, the Acorn story. How long after Breitbart was up and running did your story run? On the website, it was uh, the story ran September two thousand nine. So I don't know, some year after a year after. But right. with, with BigGovernment.com started, and then the Acorn story came immediately when that one started. Ah, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Oh, that was it. He was saying, yeah, each big website, government, big this, big that. Each website has to come. He said with a bang, right? And funny, he approached us, uh, myself and Anne, about being the heads of Big Environment. Uh, he actually he says. I want to uh, call it Big Climate. And I said, no, nah, don't call it Big Climate. Call it Big Environment. And he's going, okay. So, uh, but we, we didn't, it didn't work either. We were going to, we ended up doing our own thing. But, so remind people about the Acorn story. What was it? And try and tell them how big it was. That was almost 15 years ago. Wow. Uh, September 2009. Uh, this was a story, undercover tapes of, mm. 
people inside this group called ACORN, which was the Association of Community Organizations for Reform Now, and they were telling me how to evade uh, tax laws and circumvent tax laws and declare the prostitution money because I was pretending to be a, a, a pimp mm-hmm. uh, and to disguise this on my income taxes. And this was a massive story. It was covered by the mainstream media. It led to congressional action to defund yeah. ACORN. And it, the John Stewart covered it on the Daily Show. Yeah. South Park covered it. It was a it was a massive story, and it all happened in about a week's time. That's right. Yeah. So Acorn, uh, and they were heavily involved in in Obama's election. They were right in there in the in the Democratic establishment. And I mean, you said a couple of interesting things there. It was covered by the mainstream media, and I think so many of your current issues are. Very, you can almost take what happened with Acorn and say, if only they, if only people understood what happened with Acorn. Andrew Breitbart had maybe what was it, four or five, or sorry, you guys had four or five different Acorn outlets telling you this, and some of them were worse than others. Some of them, I mean, I remember one of them. You said we're bringing in a couple of fourteen-year-olds. Yes. And rather than reporting you for sex trafficking, they told you that you could put them down as ma- as yes, uh, dependents, dependent yeah. minors, and get a tax deduction on. Yes, <laughs> you know. So, but Andrew was clever, and Andrew Andrew understand. And I remember saying, "It's nothing." Him saying, "We have to get the mainstream media involved in these things. Mm-hmm. They they have to cover it." And, and I think you've said that in the past too. And he, the drip drip of these stories was the killer. If you'd released them all at once, they could have killed the story in a day or two. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it, don't fire all your ammunition at once. Um, and he had said that, you know, if we release these a little bit of time, they'll say that it's isolated. They fell into that trap. Uh-huh. CNN reported, well, this is just an isolated incident. Of course, they had no, they had no, there was no way for them to know yes. that it was isolated, but they just jumped to that conclusion, mm-hmm. showcasing the, uh, the the avarice, the collusion, uh, the collusion, and the you know just not checking your facts. Yeah, and they did this. And Andrew told me, "Do not pick up your phone." One time, that the first day the story launched, someone called my iPhone. iPhones were brand new at that point. It was like they'd only been out a year. Someone called my iPhone seventy times. CNN producer, and I didn't pick up the phone. I couldn't actually make an outgoing call because the phone kept ringing. I couldn't actually type in. Yeah. And Andrew said, they're going to try to personalize the story. They're going to make it about you personally. So don't pick up the phone. So I didn't. And they were unable to personalize the story. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember, you know, and the mainstream media, that was back when when they they, pretend, they were still pretending. And I remember my favorite part of that story was um, Acorn issued a statement. There was a, a, a speculation that that you had all these different places, you were in all these different outlets. And Acorn issued a statement saying, this did not happen, we know for a fact it didn't happen in Baltimore, Philadelphia, somewhere, somewhere. And, right, and, and, and yeah. then you uh, immediately dropped, was it Philadelphia? Yeah. You immediately dropped all that city. Baltimore, Philadelphia. You <laughs> dropped that city, right? The New York Times ran a story where they went in and changed her quote to remove one of the cities. That's right. That's right. And that was my favorite bit of it because, right. and the, when the journalist was asked about it, he said, well, I knew the head of Akron wouldn't lie, right? Mm-hmm. So I changed the quote to reflect the truth. I remember that. Most people don't remember that. That's very, very good. That Yeah, we it was actually, September 9th was Baltimore. And then the very next one we released, I'm trying to remember, it was DC. It was Friday, September 11th. And I remember 
I remember it was, so it was September 10th, September 11th. I remember Andrew was wa- wondering, should we release this on September 11th? This was 2009. Mm-hmm. And then on Monday, we released New York. That was Brooklyn. And they told us to hide the money in a tin can in the ground, the pimp money. And and I remember in, in New York, we, we, we Hannah and I walked into this office and there was a line of people to get in. And they were all waiting for their housing loans or what have you. But Hannah was dressed in, you know, yes. like ostensibly the most ridiculous, like Miami escort looking thing. Yep. This is not how prostitutes dress in Baltimore. But Hannah's this young woman, 20 year old. I'm 25 at the time. Mm. And and they see us. And I say, oh, you know, she, my, my girlfriend's a lady of the night. And they go, OK, why don't you come to the front of the line? So it's like we, sk- we, we bypassed all these people waiting. Yeah. And they brought us in this room. And covering the walls of this room were just whiteboards of all these shenanigans. So my camera was embedded in a tie, and I, in order to record, I have to, you know, I have yeah. to sort of like use my uh-huh. body. So I'm recording the wall, and I'm making sure I'm getting uh-huh. all the whiteboard information. It turns out what was on the whiteboard were other illegal schemes and things, which all made the New York yeah. Post. So a journalist, rather than phoning up Acorn and said the Acorn CEO saying you said this, but this is untrue. What do you say now? He he said, he changed her yes. quote without the, her This is Bertha Lewis. The, Bertha Lewis, The yeah. head of Acorn, yeah. he changed the quote because the New York tape, that one I just mentioned, showed them telling me how to disguise the yeah. profits. Yeah. And, and it was so damning. The whole story was damning of the media. And Andrew Breitbart told me when I knocked on his door here in uh, Westwood, yeah. California, um, went to his home with the tapes before they launched. And he said, this is going to embarrass the New York Times. So he called it. And I said, what do you mean New York Times? I, I, I didn't fully understand where yeah. he was going. But he was right. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and eventually the Clark Hoyt, then ombudsman, there's no longer an ombudsman. That's, that's right. That's Clark right. Hoyt, Pulitzer Prize winning ombudsman for New York Times, wrote a piece saying, that's right. t- uh, I think it was called t- Tuning In Too Late. Yes. And I don't know if you remember this, but they, uh-huh. he, he apologized. He said, yes. we went through the raw tapes, because everyone said I t- yeah. doctored the tapes, yeah. and the most damning quotes matched the audio and were not out of context. Yes. This is a New York Times yes. Pulitzer and, Prize. And then, do you remember, the New York Times said, because, I mean, coming in too late, that's another thing. They ignored it for, for days. They, they wouldn't cover it, yeah. and then they covered it in page two, they covered page it, 25. So, no, it's actually... It actually the Congress defunded Acorn before the New York Times assigned a reporter to the story. Wow. It was so insane that it, I think another columnist for you're, – you're bringing back all the memories now, yeah. um, anecdotal memory of the Washington Examiner wrote, it was truly an extraordinary series of events for Congress to take action before the New York Times thinks it's newsworthy. It was so damning. Yes. And the fact that it was two kids from the cast of High School Musical 3 yes. with the grandmother's chinchilla coat as the pimp costume yes. is crazy. It is crazy. crazy. It is crazy. But, I mean, Andrew Breitbart was such a uh, was so smart and knew how, how the media worked. Um, that it, and I think if Andrew Breitbart had to be on the board of, of Project Veritas, you, you wouldn't be launching OMG Media. But we'll come to that in a minute. And I me- do you remember also the New York Times then said, we're going to appoint a specialist reporter yes. to, to, to who's going to be sort of scarring the right-wing blogs and yeah. the right-wing and Breitbart, basically, and other places to find the stories we, we're, we're too slow to get. Yeah. But we're not going to um, tell you who it is 
right. because he's going to be bombarded with people pitching stories to him. <laughs> <laughs> to me, that was like the, that was the perfect that was the perfect example of just how out of touch. By the way, the, not just the left wing media, but the mainstream media. I always say you can tell. Uh, how interested and in how good a news organization is if you go on their website and try and get in touch with a reporter. Interesting. That's an interesting student. Go on the New York Times now. Yeah. Uh, pick a reporter and go on the New York Times now and try and find their email address. Interesting. Try and find a phone number for them. Try and find a phone number for the New York Times news desk. Like I used to, my background is journalism, Brit the British journalism system, even though I worked in. Northern Ireland and the South, but but it all comes from that British Fleet Street tradition. Mm. And, you know, okay, we're cool and we're smart and we're out there, we've got sources everywhere, but a huge number of stories comes into you, come into you. You pick up, you're sitting there at your desk and literally someone will come in with a story that'll get you the front page the next day. Right. People who like your publication, people you've met in other stories, people who just go, that, I, get, what's the local paper? And they just, they just blab it to you. They might have get offered it to someone else and they turned it down. But so many stories come in. And the New York Times, you cannot you cannot uh, cold call the New York Times. So they have to, you have to ha be in the inn. It's very, very astute observation. Accessibility for me is huge. Even even on my Instagram, I get thousands of DMs even as I sit here right now. And I, I it's very difficult to respond to them all. Mm -hmm. But I think to the extent that you can, you're a better, you're a better journalist. And it, um, you know, it's very interesting, uh, accessibility. Yes. And um, uh, I think that my training my team to respond to as many of them as possible, mm. and you're sort of triage, it's almost like the ER room. You're trying to figure out which of these is going to be the most interesting tip. Yes. Um, but it's a very important point. Yeah, yeah. And, and do you remember, uh, you, you know, we're going all over the place, but it's, it wasn't one of your first... So you had a you had a model with with Project Veritas of going undercover. Then you realized we can get the whistleblowers as well. Yeah. Right. And wasn't one of the was it the Google whistleblower? You were giving a speech at CPAC and you put mm -hmm. your email address up there or something like that. And uh, was it the Google yeah. whistleblower? Yeah. So, so it was accessibility again. Accessibility. Google. Well, eventually, so you're trying to infiltrate. You're trying to get on the inside of these places. Mm -hmm. um, but going going back, wrote back to the New York Times example. A lot of these New York Times reporters, not only are you can't you can't get in touch with them. I mean, it, it is they are they are literally putting blinders on. They're, they yes. don't want to see anything, yes. and they're in cahoots with their sources in the government. Yes, um, so that these whistleblowers they can't go to the New York Times. In fact, someone once said famously, if the Google guy went to the New York Times, they would burn him yes. intentionally, yes. like a trophy buck on the wall. Yeah. So in initially at Project Veritas, I would try to get inside these places. Mm -hmm. It was very difficult to do that responsibly, legally, and ethically. So the better option is for people on the inside to come to you. Mm -hmm. And that's yeah. what started to happen about maybe three to five years ago. And it was yes. the most famous example of this was an ABC News insider came to me with the Amy Robach, Jeff Epstein tape where, where this person recorded the Good Morning America anchor on a commercial break with the lav mic on her lapel uh -huh. or whatever, not lapel, but dress. And she was upset that the Disney spiked the Epstein story. This was recorded yes. and sent to me. I could have never gotten that through infiltration. By so, the way, by the yeah. way, can I just interrupt you? Like, what if that person couldn't find your email address? What yeah. if that person couldn't find- uh, Exactly. 
Yeah, you know, and by the way, people don't like sending things to info at Project Ver. You know, no. they like. I mean, it's funny. You get more if it's James O'Keefe at at at, at gmail or whatever it is. They will send it. So sorry, sorry to interrupt you, but 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 go ahead. No, it's it's a very astute observation, very rarely made by anybody. And for me, there's a there's a there's a burden that comes with being accessible because you do have to sift through ninety plus ninety. Five, 99% of the stuff is just bunk. It's just not yes. interesting. But that's the price yep. you have to pay. Yep. And even being a public figure, um, I make myself – I'll give you an example. The other day, Signal, someone someone just cold called me. Now you get these calls and it's very yeah. frustrating. You get angry. You lose your temper. It's yes. like I don't want to deal with this crap. But you never know who could be on the other line. Mm-hmm. So you try to be polite. You try to yes. be courteous because some people just want to talk your ear off. Yeah. He said, I'm sorry, ma'am, I really have to go. Yeah. But this then this person calls me up on signal randomly and I pick up the phone. I actually picked up the phone and I listened for a couple minutes and they go, by the way, I work for Pfizer. Yeah. I said, What? I said, hold my calls. Yes. And and they say, Hey, give me one of those give me one of those hidden cameras. I said, Why? And this person, I can't tell you what yeah. they said, but they said, Well, I'm seeing some things, I want to record it. This happened last week. Yeah. So it's a very astute observation, and you need a team of people to answer the phone. Yes, yes, must like the Boston Globe in the spotlight. It's called it's called a newsroom, right? And and this is I worked now. I've worked for a lot of newspapers, and uh, I remember uh, just a conversation. I was working for the I worked for the Irish News maybe for eight or nine years. Like I worked for the Irish News during the troubles, right? The phones were hopping, right? And the news was often dramatic. Uh, and then there was news about the news. But I remember speaking to a young lady who just started working for our rival newspaper, the Belfast Telegraph. And uh, she was telling me when she first started working in the Belfast Telegraph, she couldn't believe the noise, right? Because there was phones ringing mm. all the time. What time frame was this? What decade? Was uh, this would have been late 90s. 90s, yeah. Yeah. Phones ringing all the time, people doing things, people talking, mm. right? People trying to work out because when you get a story, there's so many questions to be asked and so, so many ethics to be juggled yeah. with and how's the best to approach it and when do you approach the person, what's the right thing to do and all this. But she said like at the start, she um, she felt she, she wasn't going to be able to survive because the newsroom was so noisy. Yes. The, this is a sign of success. Yes. Yes. This is good. And most people don't – I don't know if it's a, a changing times or the new generation that we live in or mm. work ethic because even the 90s is a different era, yes. isn't it? Yes, yes, It's not 2023. This no. is 25 years ago. Yeah, yep. And most people in their Zoomers, Generation yeah. Z, entitlement generation, uh-huh. Americans are working less hard. Yeah. It's just difficult to create a culture. I mean to find the right people to do yes. it, you have to have – you have to be totally fearless. And yes. I actually wrote a book called American Muckraker. I got a PDF of it yeah. here. There's a chapter called Character. And I and I list out the qualities it takes for someone to do this. You have to be indefatigable. You can never be fatigued. Yes. I think you're like this. Yes. You're always you're always chasing the next yes. thing. Yes. And you never stop. You have to be incorruptible. Mm-hmm. So if someone comes to me and says, Hey O'Keefe, um, here's uh, fifty million dollars so you don't publish the Pfizer story. Mm-hmm. Would I take the bribe? No. But advertising it can sometimes corrupt yes. an organization. Like, brought to you by Pfizer, brought to you by Pfizer. Yeah. So I, I never took advertising money. That's not to be critical of people who do. No, and, and I, I would I would s- yeah. sometimes, I mean, 
as a journalist, I never even knew who was advertising right. their newspaper. There was a firewall, uh, you know, and and almost it was it was a. This is different times. There was there was a trophy to be won if you attacked one of your advertisers. Oh really? Yeah, you know, uh, oh. there was like, <laughs> you know, uh, and, you know, it's great to put in the article. Is a, is a significant advertiser with this outlet? You know, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not sure how the business people felt about it, but go ahead. Well, these things have changed, maybe. Yeah. Um, you have to be absolutely fearless. And this is a quality that rarely exists. I don't know what it was like in Ireland, but I, I, I feel most people are very afraid in this country. and Or they're afraid to admit it. A lot of Christians are very afraid. Yes. So you, you have to be fearless, but you also have to have high integrity. Yeah. Yeah. So if you take a Venn diagram of all the people who are unafraid, yeah. Yeah. and then you take a Venn diagram of all the people who have integrity, you have this very narrow sliver of people. Yeah. Um, they do exist, though. They do. Very, I, I can tell you that yeah. because I recently was hiring someone, and I recently interviewed a number of people for it, and I would put all of them in that Venn diagram. Interestingly, is that enough. right? Yes, they do exist. Right, rare, rare, rare. rare. No, no. And funny, <laughs> I was, I was actually very, but I got good recommendations from a couple of people, right? But I was surprised, right? Because I, I know, you know, um, like you, you got the stage now where people don't like to travel. Yes, that's true. That's, you know, I see that everywhere. You see that it's like yeah. young people going, and I'm going. And I was during the interview process. I was going like, so we made a movie in Serbia. How would you how would you feel about? It? I said we have to go to Serbia for a week or a month. Yeah, right. And a number of people went, "Oh yeah." I was going, "Okay, hmm. okay. This is this is this is something, you know." Um, uh, but I know that there are uh, there are other people too who go, "Well, you know, I have a dog. I have a cat. You know, I have." You yeah, I, I get that a lot, and people don't want to go. I'm from the New York, New Jersey area, which most people don't like. I'm from yeah. there. Most people in the Midwest or Southwest or Southeast, or they they don't want to go travel to yes. New York and this and that. Sorry. Sorry. And I and I almost view it as like a badge of I I like a like a uh, a way of weeding people out. Is a you have to be willing to make sacrifices. And I've been fortunate. I don't have a family not yet. Hopefully, yeah. I will soon. And most people with families, it's difficult for them. No, listen, so. when we were you know? young, when I was in the Irish news and all that, like none of us had families, right? None of us, I mean, you know, and and I do understand that when you're, when and, and families is different too. Fathers used to be able to just, you know, ignore their kids and- uh, Work all the time. Work all the time and see yeah. you when you're 16, you know, <laughs> uh, or 18, you know, go off to college. But that's not how families are organized now. You know, fathers are expected to be at the games and at the at the events. And, I'm, I, you know, I'm just, I'm not saying that the old way was the best way, the good old days, but I'm just saying that's different now. But for for people, for for young journalists starting out, it's uh, travel is an opportunity, not a should be an opportunity, not a curse. Yes. Uh, but anyway, this probably. But sounds you have like, all those qualities. You also have to be skeptical. Yes. As a journalist, yes. has to be skeptical. So you have to be a good discerning. Yes. So so think of all these qualities. Yeah. Fearless, mm -hmm. integrity, incorruptible, mm -hmm. discerning, skeptical, and without when without partiality. So without fear or yes. favor. So you're impartial. Now. There are very few people that have all these qualities. You know, it's it's not an easy thing to find. You found no. a few of them. Yes, I did. But uh, if you if you grow too quickly, if you you end up getting people on yeah. your team who do not have these qualities. Uh, totally, totally. And, and and I suppose I was going to talk about what you've done since Andrew, but you, I mean that kind of brings us on to to what. I mean, you've had an, an amazing career. You've you've 
you've brought down more people. You've you've brought down NPR, the heads of NPR. You've brought down who else? Remind, give us your greatest. I feel hits. like I've done a story on everything. Yes, but, uh, the, the media is a big beat, like yeah. exposing CNN, CNN New York Times. Yes. New York recording Times. New York Times reporters saying one thing in public, another in private. Yeah. Voter fraud where people were harvesting ballots yes. in Texas. Raquel Rodriguez was And Minnesota. Minnesota, Somali men bragging about all the ballots in their lap. Literally, you can see the yeah. ballots, which is a yeah. misdemeanor in, in Minnesota. Um, I've sued people for defamation. I've won every lawsuit that's been waged against me. I've been raided by the FBI. I've been arrested yes. in Louisiana. Yeah. I've exposed um, uh, uh, tech companies, Twitter executives mm -hmm. talking about shadow banning. Mm -hmm. uh, when they were denying it to Congress. They were denying it to Congress, chased a Twitter executive to the streets of New York City right before Elon Musk took over the company. Most recently, a story on Pfizer executive talking about the, mm -hmm. the, the mutations of the, of the virus and they were doing things that they didn't want the public to know about. I've probably done hundreds of investigations over the last mm -hmm. 10 years. And about about a story a week is what I, sort of like 60 minutes uh, for citizen yeah. journalism. We've always talked about it. I mean, so I, I'm a great fan of what you do because I understand what you do because you, you're actually, an old, your title of your book was Muckraker. You're an old-fashioned British muckraking journalist. You're a fleet, you literally should have the hat, hat with the press <laughs> thing here and a, and a well, gr the, grubby the, Mac The difference is everything I report which is even more difficult, is I try to get it on video. So I don't report yeah. anything unless I can no. see it, which is a high, high, a difficult standard. Very, very difficult I standard. I can't report the words unless you can hear it or you yeah. can see it. Sometimes you've got to see lips moving to see it, and it's very difficult and incredibly expensive. Yes. That's the one thing about investigative reporting. It's very expensive. And I ran a nonprofit for 13 years. And mm -hmm. the thing about nonprofit I guess if you're the owner of a for-profit, you can do this too, is that it's a lost leader on the company's balance sheet. So in other words, I'll spend a million dollars to do a story where many executives would say, well, I'm not going to spend that money. Yes. I, I'll pocket that money or put it as dividends to the yeah. shareholders yeah. or give your people a pay increase. For me, as the chairman and CEO of, of Veritas, I would always say, oh, we're going to spend this money on this story, yes. which is a very unique perspective. Most people are unwilling to to spend that much money. If anything, in the online media world, you you put out five stories a day. Oh yeah, and it's all Tell a bunch me. of regurgitated. It's crap. called journalism. No, it's called journalism, and yeah. uh, um, yeah. it's it's no funny. Journalism is soul destroying, but I tell you, it's it's it trains you to write a story. Uh, it's one thing, but it's but it's it's very soul destroying. Um, funny, I was just looking at the notes I made there when you're speaking. I, remember, Andrew Breitbart gave out his mobile number. Do you remember that? I do. Andrew Breitbart gave out his mobile number to everyone, and you know the torture he must have got back then. Phone calls from people, but but again, he was accessible. And uh, yeah, that, that's a very important and astute observation that you're making that most people don't understand. I I don't do it as much as Andrew did, yes. but I do give out my number to everybody yes. because you never know. Yep. What someone might have on yes. the other line, but it's also very difficult to be a public figure. And yes. Andrew Andrew died when he was forty three. Forty two, forty three. Um, yeah. And and I don't want that to happen to me. I'm 38. Yeah, no, so. funny. I, I didn't. I, you know, I was going to say, and I, I was going to say maybe it maybe it speeded up his demise. Now he had a genetic heart condition. Right. He didn't. He wouldn't have known about it because he was adopted. Right. You know um, right. that the genetic aspect. Maybe his parents died young as well. Um, I don't want to speculate because uh, you know his his widow and his family are, are out there. So, and that is why. 
American mainstream media, and I just don't mean you know the left wing media. It's just so boring and so um, it's boring. It's so self righteous. Yeah. They talk about a bubble, but they're actually in a literal bubble, right? You know that 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 and that I can. I mean, and by the way. Sometimes I get access to a story that I'm not interested in, but actually somebody in the New York Times would be interested in. And, you know, could I get in touch with them? Could, could you actually find them? Or, or even to try? I, I did a, a play in New York, Oh, Gosnell, the story. I saw, yeah. I saw the, were the FBI Lovebirds one. I don't know which was the, the play that we I witnessed. No, it was FBI Love. FBI Lovebirds, yeah. yeah. But no, we, we did another one about abortion, actually. Um, it was to, some left-wing comedian was doing, Oh, God, a... A comedy about abortion, and I did Oh Gosnell, the truth about abortion, right at the same time. And can you find the address of the critics from the New York Times to get them to come? At the arts reporter, the culture right. reporter, no, right? right. And uh, the only way is if they ever write a story about you and phone you up for a comment, then you've well, got well, the, the, even a step further for your audience. The New York Times, when they reach out to you for comment, they don't actually want to talk to you on the telephone. They avoid, see, when you want to have a conversation like we're having, you yes. talk to people. They want to avoid conversation. Yes. They want to avoid interaction. It has to be, please respond to this email. Yes. And then they can chop it up and splice and dice the quotes. We all know they do that. But but Adam Goldman at the New York Times, National Security Report, they, they're like obsessed with me. They they, they, they write you know yes. monthly front page pieces. And this comedian did a, did a story about how they write about me. And it's almost like you have to take the newspaper and twist it to understand what they're actually trying to say because the way they write these things, they they can't describe reality as it is. Exactly. They have to write it in this mendacious, twisted way where you're not even sure what they're actually saying. That's right. In order to paint the Picasso portrait yes. of you that they need to paint. That's right. So they can't talk to you because if they, because if they were to record me right now, right? And they're to put out their audience. They're like, oh, well, seems like a rational guy. Yes. Seems like a sensible yes. person. Yes. They don't want you to look sensible. So they have to write about you with all this sophistry and yeah. innuendo where they, they make it. And, and the problem with what they do is that most people are actually, I think, are, I feel, are waking up to it. Because you live in the era of Instagram. You live in the era of Twitter. Elon Musk taking over Twitter. Mm. Where people now can actually see the raw information yes. for yes. themselves. Yes. We live in the age of yep. video. Yep. And the New York Times doesn't like video mm -hmm. because if you were to video record this interaction between you yes. and I, they would they they'd lose the narrative. They have to write about it. So when my interactions with the National Security Reporters, New York Times, they never want to actually talk to me on the phone. They yes. actually hang up the phone when I call them. Yes, yes. So it's like so. The, so the, the, oh, I mean, that's man. an example. So 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 let me get this straight. A journalist from the New York Times, they hang up the phone when James O'Keefe calls them. Right. Always. You know. Yeah. So. They don't know what you're calling about, but they hang up the phone. Tell me, tell me in what newsroom that should happen. You should be fired for that, but instead they get medals for it. This is this is journalism. This is bad journalism. Um, <laughs> I mean, funny. I have a friend in Ireland, John Waters, who who um, who doesn't do mainstream media interviews, and he said, he says, and I was going, why not? And he says, I have another friend. I says, he says, I explained to him what it is. He says, you have to look upon it as. They have they have the drama already. They have the script already written. The drama already written. Right, right. You're a character in it. That's true. And they have your script already written. Mm -hmm. That's why they're asking you these questions. And if you come in with something that disturbs their drama, they have to rewrite the drama, and they won't do that. Yes. They won't have to rewrite the play, the narrative. So that's why they don't want to be in touch with you. 
there was a story um, the New York Times did uh, about this was after the FBI raid. I'm trying to find it um, where they wrote this headline. Um, and oh, here it is. This is the front page of New York Times, mm-hmm. November 12th, 2021. This is after the FBI raid. Somehow the New York Times got a copy of my attorney-client memos. Gee, yeah. I wonder how they got those. Yeah. In any event, they, 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 this is the headline, quote, Documents show how the conservative group worked with lawyers to gauge how far its deceptive reporting practices could go before running afoul of federal laws. Well, gee, that's a very, <laughs> that's a very uh, uh, twisted way to say we make sure we work with lawyers That's to make right. sure everything we do is legal. Yes. But do you see how they wrote it? Yes. So in other words, in other words, you're 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 really being really, really, really careful to make sure you're not breaking the law. Documents show how the conservative group worked with lawyers to gauge how far its deceptive reporting practices could go before running afoul of federal laws. Gee, it sounds like you're doing something wrong. No, no. Everything we did was legal. Yes. But why but, don't they just write but, everything they did? They look, make they work with lawyers to make sure they don't break the law. And how much did you spend on those lawyers? I mean, but but also this is what newsrooms do all day, every day. They work with lawyers to make sure that what they're doing is legal. And and by the way, you know what? The reality is, the New York Times does that once every five years because they so rarely uh, go against the narrative or go against you know and. Journalists now are, are very, very protected in spilling government secrets, unless you're Julian Assange, by the way. Uh, then you, then you. They're, they work. They work in cahoots with. Yes. In yeah. tandem with, like the, the the New York Times national security reporters, Mark Mazzetti and Adam Goldman. They're basically feds. They they are feds, and I, I actually joke with them when I confront them. I say, "Do you secretly wish you were a fed?" Yeah. Because if you're a journalist, you're often. I, I, I grant you that you sometimes have to protect your sources in the government. Now, now there's nothing wrong with using anonymous sources as such. If the, the question is who's manipulating who? Yes. Is the Fed manipulating the journalist? Yes. And that's, that's because there's in journalism, there's a tension between what I call access and autonomy. Yes. yes. You, have to, you have to have access to people in the FBI, mm-hmm. but you also have to be autonomous enough to tell the truth. That's right. And the people in the administrative state, deep state, as Trump calls it, or whatever you want to call it, the agencies are manipulating yep. the journalists and feeding yeah. them this stuff and yeah. say, hey, run this. Yes. Well, what you're being given is propaganda. Yes. Now, what you're being given could be propaganda or it could be the truth, but you have to check it. And you have to also ascribe it to, I mean, this thing of, of uh, anonymous sources that have has exploded, as you say, you never use anonymous sources. No, I don't. Never. No, no. Um, there's something wrong with using anonymous sources, but you have to... The, it you know, can't be the only thing that you use. You have to use it sparingly. sparingly. Because if you, if you use it 100% or 85% of the time, as the New York Times or Washington Post does, you're asking the audience to believe you by virtue of the decree that you're believable. You're saying, believe me because I told you so. But, but also you have to ascribe the motive to the anonymous source. They don't do this, right? And nobody does this. But, you know, sources within the Trump administration, now that could be some disgruntled, Person who's actually an anti-Trumper within the Biden and could within be. the Trump could, could be. be and if you and if you're you're right if you're if you're relaying information secondhand the motive becomes more important if you're showing the information firsthand yes if you're if it's a videotape of uh, Amy Robach talking about Jeff Epstein then the motive be, in my opinion becomes less important mm-hmm. because you're able to see the information for yourself the New York Times did a story on the Trump tax returns in yes. 2020 they didn't release any documents they didn't show you any sources. 
they ask you to believe them because of people familiar mm -hmm. with the matter. And there's a pro journalism professor named Jay Rosen. He said, every time you use anonymous source, you're withdrawing from your ATM of credibility. And you sometimes have to make deposits. You can't only withdraw. Please right. believe me. It's like me saying, so there's this group called Acorn and they disguise prostitution money. What's your proof, O'Keefe? You have to believe me because I I'm a believable guy. Yes. People would laugh me out of the room. Yeah. They would laugh me. Even Andrew Breitbart said in 2009, I don't quite believe you unless I see the video. Yeah. So I brought the, 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 the proof. And this is really the problem in journalism, the abuse of anonymous sources. Yes. There's yeah, nothing yeah. wrong with using them sparingly. I agree. I agree. Um, but maybe there's a reason they don't reveal the sources uh, because those sources don't exist. Oh, they don't exist. And every time you, by the way, every time you see what their sources say, it never matches up with what they write. Well, do you, I mean, this is, you know, this is, Possibly inside baseball, but they did a big fracking expose at the New York Times once where they attributed industry insiders said this. They got all these emails. Industry insiders did this industry, and they quoted these emails. Of course, the industry went, hold on, and did a search, and it turned out the industry senior industry insider was an intern, right? <laughs> Yeah, yes. they. Yes, I've seen that before. I've seen I've seen examples where are they sock puppets in the back of the vehicle? Who are they interviewing? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. and and the other thing they say they selectively edit. So James O'Keefe selectively edits, right? As you've heard this yes. before. Edit, edit, edit. Well, this is a bit of projection. Yeah. They accuse you of that which they are guilty yes. of. And I and I I got into this business thinking, what do you mean edit? And they say, show me the edit. Like, where's the edit? Right. And then I release the raw. But the problem with releasing the raw is, and they say. Well, how do I know there isn't some other material you haven't released? Yeah. And it becomes this sort of tautology where there's nothing I can do to satisfy them. In fact, I release the raw from the moment I walk in to the moment That's I walk right. out. And then they go, how do you know that after he walked out, he didn't return the recording device back on and walk back in again? Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. I can't win. No, you can't win. And, and uh, this arose when, when I started doing verbatim theater here. So the first one we did was Ferguson, grand jury testimony, 30 or 40 witnesses. And I broke it down to this play an hour and a half of the most dramatic moments of Michael Brown's, the end of Michael Brown's life and the end of the cop's life as a public citizen uh, or as a private citizen. And I had these reporters, nine of the nine of the crew, acting crew walked out, the nine of the actors walked out during rehearsals because they couldn't handle the truth. I was giving voice to African-Americans, but it wasn't, there was, there was no hands up, don't shoot nonsense. It was right. all, you know, Michael Brown beating the crap out of a immigrant shopkeeper, uh, punching this guy, punching that guy, hitting a cop, and then charging a cop. And it was all African-Americans saying, you know, in fact, the best evidence was this woman with a black nationalist tattoo on her arm who spent three months avoiding the subpoena and then was caught and then came and decided to tell the truth. It was stunning testimony. And these reporters were phoning up saying, I'm saying it's verbatim. Every word in it is a word from a witness to this shooting or from a report or from a uh, testimony. And they were going, yeah, but you edited it. And I'm going, yeah, I've added this down to one hour, 45 minutes of only voice. You're editing this story down to 500 words. Mm -hmm. 100 of which will be my quote, 200 of which will be the other actors who walk out quote, and th another couple of hundred will be your quotes. If, if I can't make a, pl a verbatim play, then you can't write this article. It's all projection. They they do the thing they're accusing you of, and I and it took me years to understand how this is how they work. They, it's very effective technique yes. to accuse your enemy of that which you're guilty of because it puts you on the immediate defensive. Yes. Now you have to justify yourself. But I learned in the business, uh, well, maybe a few years ago, 
um, that I, I, I said everyone edits. You edit. In fact, CNN edits. The t- television stations edit. And they edit to a degree far more severe than we do. Yes. Because they have to edit for time. <laughs> exactly. And on the internet, my pieces can – usually my long-form pieces are between 10 and 20 minutes. Yes. Which is far more than you see on Good Morning America. Absolutely. I mean this yeah. is the point. I was making these guys – sorry, like you're editing – you're going to be editing this down to a 600-word piece, an 800-word piece, maybe a 1,000-word piece, uh, but you're writing an article criticizing me for, for, for editing editing a verbatim play. If I'm not allowed to put out a verbatim play, then you're not allowed to write this article because uh, you're 10 times bigger editor than I am. I suppose that, that brings us forward then to, to Project Veritas, Riding High, um, and, and, you know, by the way, we talked about it earlier, the problems of growth, the problems of hiring mm-hmm. today. Um, Project Veritas became a massive organization, mm-hmm. uh, 60 people, I believe. Yep. Uh, but, you know, we've all worked in newsrooms with 60 people, um, or journalists have. And then you, there was a very public falling out with your board or dramatic ending t- to that Um Tell me, okay, I'll, I'll I'll sum it up for people that that the board suspended you, did they? Yeah, they what what they called well terminated me, but they they initially removed me from my authority on February sixth. They there was a board meeting. It was a six hour long board meeting mm-hmm. where they um, uh, removed me from my ability to make decisions. They made the executive director and the chief financial officer report to the board as opposed mm. to me. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have any hire a fire authority, yeah. uh, no spending authority. They cut off my access to credit card and told me to take vacation for two weeks. Mm-hmm. When I was on the vacation for two weeks, the mandated PTO, then on February 10th, during my vacation, they they stripped me of all my authority and effectively terminated me yeah. from the company. And, and then on February 15th, they said, oh, James is just on vacation. Mm. On February 16th, I... I sent the board a letter, and I, I said, "This has become a circus. This is this is a." a um, I felt like I was Clarence Thomas in the hearing, saying, yeah. "This has become a disgrace, a circus." Um, uh, you, you know, there's been defamation out uh, there saying I violated bylaws and uh-huh. all types of stuff. I said, "Here's my proposal: uh, by Monday, when you've asked me to return, I'm not sure what my job is. I'm mm. what I'm returning to." I said, "By Monday, you you all need to resign." So I said, "You all need to resign," and then. Monday, February twentieth came, and they 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 were not resigned. So I mm. I collected my personal yep. documents from my desk, and I I Walked gave a remarks, and mm-hmm. I, that was to sixty yeah. people. Yeah, I I knew that in addressing sixty people, it would likely leak. Yeah, um, I I was always proud of the institution, Project Artist. Nothing really ever leaked, mm-hmm. but when this happened, the dynamics completely changed. Everything was leaking all yes. the time. Yes, because in these sorts of when you when you remove your heart and your soul and your founder from something, I think it, it was difficult. So they filmed a, a forty-five minute address where I yes. said my truth, uh-huh. and then um, and it went and someone sent it somewhere and it made its way around yeah. the internet. I mean, we should probably tell people what a board is of a charity. A board, yes. I mean, in the sense people people think of a board, it's different from the board of a company, right? Yeah, because they have. Well, I suppose a board of a company has a fiduciary duty yeah. as well. So, so 501c3s, also known as charities in the United States, are required by by the IRS to have a board of directors. I never – I mean, so what does that mean? It means that they have the duty of care mm-hmm. and the duty of loyalty. 
So, for example, in a you have to have a quarterly board meeting or annual mm. board. We had quarterly. Mm. You have to have an annual audit. That yes. means every year they look at your books independently. Yes, you have to have four, quarterly financial statements. Mm -hmm. And the board has to set my compensation. So I yes. don't set my own compensation. Yes. So the board members are taking look at the and yeah. the law requires now some states require only one board member i had three board members oh you had three yeah um, and, and you was, did you appoint them i did years ago yeah um and i never really focused on my board because exactly. Why i ran you? the company like uh any company would i took responsibility for everything i was the chairman and ceo most people don't realize that i was i mean it was an unusual position because i was the talent yes i was the chief fundraiser and i was the chief executive officer yes. usually some in, of that would have been taken um, off you. You know, Shane Smith, who did Vice, he he was also the 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 talent and the face. Mm. It's very unusual to have your talent yeah. be your management. But I, in my life, knew instinctively at a very young age that the only way that I was going to be able to pull off this, that that I could have the uh, ability to do it, was if I was in charge of making yes. the decisions. If somebody else totally. above me totally. was making the decisions, well, well shit. I could never spend a million dollars no. on a story. No, they would no. never let me no, do no, that. No, 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 no newsroom in its right never. mind would, would allow never. anyone to spend a million dollars. So on a story. when I started in my dad's garage in two thousand and you know ten, I quickly learned. Well, in order to do this story, I have to get the lawyer. In order to get the lawyer, I have to raise the money. In order to raise the money, I have to. So it became this thing. Okay, now I need to create a company. Oh, I, the company needs a board. So I, I put people on the board that I thought I could trust. Now, mm -hmm. now, now, I can't tell you how many times you, but you appointed the board. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Well, you don't have to be a, a expert in Shakespeare to know that some people that you think you can trust, you learn that you can't, yes. and that that's life. And and yes. and you know, frankly, you can count on one hand the people that are your friends in this life. Mm -hmm. You can also you learn, um, you learn by going through crazy things. Um, who people really are. Yes. And when you start out, it's different than when you are up a there. Yeah. Twenty-five million dollar. Yes. Company. Yes. With seventy employees. Yes. And you're going after the FBI, Pfizer, Google, Twitter, and Facebook. And they're coming after you. It's totally different yes. than when you're in your dad's garage and you are broke. Yes. And and I I, I say in my departing remarks. February 20th, that the line that separates good and evil runs through every human heart. And yes. there's a line in the sand that gets drawn. The deeper you go, the the farther you go down the the, the looking glass, the farther mm. you go down the rabbit hole, you 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 see who people really are. Yeah. Now, after this happened to me, there's a lot of horrible things that happen. We can talk about it if you want. But what I like to draw from these experiences is so much good. Mm -hmm. When I started my new company, OMG, it was a startup, yes. it sort of still is, but uh -huh. the last few weeks, I had people volunteering. I had people on the floor eating pizza. I had people yeah. putting on their credit cards the flights for whistleblowers. Uh -huh. They didn't want anything. Yeah. They believed in it. So I drew from this a lot of goodness that, that come out of a, a really bad so, situation. So, uh, you know, look, there's so much to talk about. I know. Were, were anyone in your board, were, were any of them um, journalists? I... Well, I like to think of that word as a pretty expansive word, yes, you know, yes. and I don't like to be true, restrictive true. on labels, yes. but it, it's it's a tough it's a tough thing to say, and there's a lot, frankly, that I'm not prepared to say because yes. it's there's a lot of unknowns. Well, okay, I'll say what I'm thinking. Yeah, um, 
I mean, I, I I think I only know one member of your board, Matt Termond. In fact, Matt's been on the show in the past, I believe. Yeah, and think if they'd known more how how the nuts and bolts of journalism works, this wouldn't have happened. I don't think they knew what what Project Veritas was. Bizarrely, they thought they were on the board of Heritage or, or some other institutional five hundred one c three. I mean, as you say, you were the board, you were the CEO, you were the talent, you were the the chief fundraiser. Uh, you you could take the decision to spend a million dollars on a project, and maybe that project wouldn't work out. But you alone could take that decision, and and that's a very unusual situation to be in. But you you were the editor, you were the the chief of this organization, and that was your role. And you were the one that took the arrows for that as well. Don't forget. Yeah, it was a very the people. You have to understand. Let me help answer this. The, it was a very philanthropic endeavor in this respect. I often had to pack five meetings in a day mm-hmm. uh, for no. There's no um, uh, incentive for me to work as hard as I was financially. I, it, it was a it was a passion project, yes. and I was responsible for raising more than half the revenue. So you think twenty five million? I mean, if I don't do anything. The company goes down in revenue by fifty percent, just by virtue of the fact that I'm meeting with people. I'm asking them for money. Yeah. It's a it's a charity. Yep. So the, the money doesn't come in unless I ask for it yeah. every single year. So I'm working ninety hours a week on the road, and I go to I, I want to go to bed, but rather than that, I'm going to go out to uh, to dinner with this guy and ask him for ten thousand yes. dollars. That's not that money doesn't come to me. No, it goes to the charity so that I can pay all these people salaries, yeah. and I, I don't. <laughs> I was working so hard, it got to the point where, um, yeah, it, it, it probably was ultimately unsustainable, but it was a philanthropic thing. Yeah. And and the board, you have to have a board of directors. I never, I never focused on who or how the board yeah. because I'm not a political guy. Exactly. I never maybe, focused. Maybe on the it should have been. Maybe I should have been, but if I was that way, there'd never be the Project Veritas. That's true. I mean, look, a number of things struck me about their initial. Um, speech or their initial statement or, or what came out was that um that you were spending so much money on black cars. Yeah, that was silly. That was that, that was ridiculous. But that but that to me I was going I, I, if someone had, had come to me and said James O'Keefe has twenty four hour security uh <laughs> right and Mike Huckabee said to me right before right after the five story he says I'm I'm the crazy thing about you James is that you're still alive. I mean yeah, I there was a lot of things there internally where um, people would say, I'm worried for your well-being. Now, I'm in the vehicles talking yes. about really uh, – and I'm a pretty transparent person, but I can't tell you the names of my sources like for Epstein. Yeah. yeah. So you want me to get into an Uber X? Yes. And hey, hey, Jones, how's it going but, there in Arkansas yeah. so that the Uber X who's recording – this is so preposterous. But also, it's like it's so uh, it's, t- so twenty oh eight or two thousand and eight. Look, like I mean, James O'Keefe in a black car, getting moved from meeting to meeting. Ninety nine percent of donors, I think, would not have thought that that's a waste of resources. And in fact, you're almost under resourced, uh, you know, for lack of bodyguards. But ninety nine percent of donors would have thought that was a perfectly adequate use of resources. I was taking, I was packing a lot of meetings into the day, and um, I mean, I, I mean, I'm not exaggererating. It was, it was actually, some remarked on my schedule. I said, "That's how are you doing? How are you in seven yeah. states in, in one week?" 
to the point of exhaustion. Yeah. And and I I did probably took six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven Ubers a day. Something. Yes. But it got to the point where I needed a driver. Yes. And this was more expensive, but I also needed security. Yes, and right. security was a couple thousand a day. It got to the point where with the IRS, it was like, well, does James pay for his own security? My my compensation wasn't high enough. I was We were working so hard, raising yeah. so much money to pay all these people. And by the way, we were breaking even. It's not like we were we were earning revenue. Yeah. We were spending 20-odd million a year to operate. Yes. Um, so it, it just got to the point where there's a great article by by Dr. Malone, and it said the institutional pathology that led to James being removed from Project Veritas. I recommend reading it because it was it was it was a very bizarre confluence of events where where you know people wanted my attention, they wanted my time. I'm the face of the company. Mm-hmm. I'm raising all the money, and and it and it led to some are calling it ego or resentment or jealousy or whatever you want to call it. Some think there's a conspiracy. Maybe there is. I don't have any direct evidence of that, just circumstantial. The timing of it was quite bizarre, that it was a week after the Pfizer story. Yeah. Because I'm, I've been the same guy for 13 years. Mm-hmm. If anything, I'm probably a better better boss than I used yeah, to be. Yeah, possibly. But but you you run a different organization. And we talked about that earlier, growth. I remember when I, when I stopped working for a corporation or a business, I was working for myself. And setting up a little business, et cetera. And I remember speaking to entrepreneurs who I didn't really know before I started on this path. And I remember one entrepreneur telling me, look, when you run a company, uh, one in 10 people in your company is not going to like you. And one in, one in 20 is going to want to destroy you. And you, know, you employed 60, 70 people. And th- the idea that out of 60 or 70 people that 10 or so don't like you or, you know, think you're wrong that's not surprising that's to be expected uh, it, was, it was like eight uh 16 signed the letter but i would say half of those people were were like sort of sold a false bill of goods they didn't realize it was going to be used in a boardroom a board of directors remember if there's a strike let's say there's a union yeah. strike for a company and there are strikes all the time with these companies the board is usually adverse to the strike yes yes you never see a board member organize a strike. Exactly. That never happened. They were harvesting for this. They went out harvesting for these complaints. And you go to any company, especially one that's filled with young people, and I don't mean, I'm funny, I'm not, it's not I'm against young people, but who people who haven't had the corners knocked off them. And I'd say this was the same back in the 90s too. I mean, if you have people in your 30s or, or 40s, then they're going to be different from people in their 20s. They're going to, you know, they're just going to realize that, especially in a newsroom, Especially in a newsroom, this is this is not for, this is not being bad. You know, this is this is tough. This is fun, by the way. I mean, I don't want to make it sound bad, but this is a fun environment too. But it's also a highly stressed environment. And uh, you know, you're going to as you grow, and you're another thing about your newsroom actually, which is unusual, is because one of the when I was in my twenties in in Belfast, the great thing was you could get the front page of the newspaper every day and your byline would be there and you'd be interviewed on TV about your story if it was a good story and you'd get on the radio. You're asking people to do all this hard work and no one will ever know who they are. Well, that is a very good point. Uh, it was a point Rush Limbaugh made to me. Most of my reporters uh, working for me had no bylines. Yes. So, you know, I got all the credit, but I also got the lion's share of the arrows. And a really interesting thing happened um, recently. Um, I can't. I don't think it's appropriate for me to get into the specifics, but I'll yes. give you the broad. 
it was like, then the question is, what's the plan? Like, who's the face? Because I was the face. Mm -hmm. And um, and someone said, well, well, I don't want to be the face. And I said, why not? So because I don't want to get attacked. And I was like, exactly. Yeah. Everyone wants the power. Yes. And everyone wants the 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 glory and the whatever you want to call yeah. it. I, uh, the the um, uh, the benefits of mm-hmm. and some of them are not really that beneficial. But nobody wants the responsibility. Yeah. Of being the chief witness yes. in dozens of lawsuits, raising tens of millions of dollars to pay for all the lawsuits, yes. it's a lot of responsibility. So, I would point you to this article, the institutional pathology that removed James O'Keefe yeah. and Veritas. Where was that was, published? Uh, Doctor Robert Malone, the guy who went on the Rogan podcast, wrote a whole uh-huh. uh, Substack. Yeah, uh, read the Substack because that'll give you some insight. Yeah, I. I was also disappointed to see the board, right? So look, liberal companies do this all the time. When you pay for an independent investigation, it's not independent. So you 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 you, you make allegations about someone, you publicize them, and then you pay a, a lawyer's company half a million dollars, a million dollars. That's not an in- independent commission. That's a commission. Yeah, that's not an independent investigation. That's a commission. They're commissioning a report to come to the conclusion they want them to come to. This is what liberals do when they want a virtue signal. They let's have an independent investigation into our roots of slavery, and then they find the company was involved in it, and they virtue signal. Look, when you hire these expensive lawyers, they know what the allegations are, so therefore they know what the investigations should find. They know who's paying them, and they know the results. Well, it's also most investigations. You investigate and then you come up with a verdict or an outcome. Whereas in this case, you came up with a verdict and outcome, and then you launch an investigation. Then you pay the investigators to come up with and say, "This is what we. This is what happened. Please have an independent that, investigation that we're I, paying you for." None of it made any actual sense, and I said that in my remarks, and I, I truly do mean this. That I, I know that we were in the weeds here, and that's fine. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy to address it, but it's just like, you know, I, I learned a lot of things. I. I, I never really paid much attention to board composition. I probably should have, yeah. and that's my fault. But I, I, I think I'll be a more effective messenger, a more effective yeah. leader. I, I, I learned more about human nature in yeah. 45 days than in all of my 18 years of doing this. So I view this as a very positive thing. I'll be more effective. But yeah, I mean, the the the... the all the things coming at me at once that you take the sandwiches from the pregnant ladies, yeah. you you take the black cars, you're, you're a tough boss. Tough boss. Um, I, I definitely, that is true. I was a very yes. demanding task master and a perfectionist. And I'm running around a million miles an hour. And it's, it's I would say as a leader, I'm hurried. Yes. I'm busy. Even as I sit here right now, every yes. 30 seconds, my phone rings and some of these are really important people. Yeah. And I have to say, I can't talk right now. I was, I'm doing a lot of yes. things and I don't, yes. and, and I never really asked you how your Thanksgiving was. I, I know. <laughs> I, I never say, hey, how are the children doing? How are the children doing? You have doing? 60 employees. And yes. you, could, you could spend three hours a day asking everyone about their children. And is, does that make me a bad leader? I, I don't guess, know. I, I guess so. Well, I, I was a young you know, journalist. If, if my boss had come up and asked me how was my Thanksgiving, I would have, I would have just froze in absolute fear because I would have thought he was going to fire me. Um, that, you know, why on earth would, the, would my boss in, you know, they're supposed to say what 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 stories have you got? What 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 have you bring into the table? And I was delighted to bring. I, no 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 personal life, please. Thank you. The, I grew up with the 
the guy with the cigarette and a bottle of whiskey, uh, you know, a glass of whiskey. Guy, where's my story? You know, and uh, yeah, you know, yeah, I, I, slightly, I, right? I, I don't. I never. When I would go to work, I people make small talk, and I just, I just go right to it. I, yes. I don't know. It's just something about me. I, I, I guess I have read stories about. You know, like General Mattis, the the Marine general, he would take his phone off the receiver and sit back and listen. It's just the nature of yeah. who I am. Yeah. I'm running a hundred miles an hour, yeah. and and time is so precious yeah. and so limited when you're in a newsroom. That I know. I I'm know. trying to get a thousand things done in a but day. But also, also by the way, you're the face of the organization. Like you, your name is on the not only in the masthead, it's on the story, it's on the Twitter accounts. You know, you have to drill down that journalist and say, where did you get the story? What did you do? When were that? How did this happen? Um, you're the one that's going to be in court uh, named in the lawsuit. You're the one that's going to be facing the FBI coming through your door at 6 a.m. in the morning. So so there's no time for niceties, you know? In fact, niceties are a distraction from the very serious matter of Project Veritas journalism. Sorry, that's the reality. It's all about with great power comes great responsibility. Yeah. And people just don't really think about responsibility. The other guy's responsible. The other guy's in charge of this. James was being, and when there's no one that's responsible, when there's no leader, it's like, you know, my old question was, what's your plan? Like who's the person that is the leader? Every yeah. team needs a quarterback. Mm -hmm. Every team needs a captain. You know, and 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 I, who's who's the person who where does the buck stop? Yeah. Yep. It can't be a committee. No. Nope. Um, someone has to be in charge. And um, who is that person? So, again, I, I learned a lot about human nature. And, and I I think I'll be more effective yeah. as a result of this. I, you couldn't, no business school education, no, no MBA no. could have possibly taught me. And, you know, I, I just think, and by the way, one of the things I've learned is that, um, like Debbie Bernal, the Pfizer whistleblower, she was not willing to go public. Uh, before this happened and after this happened to me, then she went public. Mm. And there's so many more stories like that where people came to me and they, because if you think about it, it's very on brand for me to get removed from the company I founded days after the Pfizer story. Yes, yes. It, it kind of just makes sense, you know. Tell me so. this. You know, so, t so tell me, one thing that's worrying me about all this is, you know, you had a strategy and it was a great strategy, a strategy of... of Fighting everything, fighting every lawsuit, and you know, settling nothing, fighting to the Supreme Court—not not metaphorically, literally—and I'm worrying that now, with you no longer the head of Project Veritas, they won't understand what that means, how important that is, and some of these cases will be settled, and and people will be able to say this case was settled, as opposed to you know being fought tooth and nail. Uh, first of all, I don't know if my strategy is uh, sustainable. I think it was the right strategy, but the the, the legal fees were eating up uh, a very large portion of the budget, um, uh, and it was. Uh, 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 I'm not sure that it, it it's possible to do that forever. Mm -hmm. Some things, even even from my perspective, you just can't fight. You can't die on every single hill. You, there just isn't enough time or money. Mm -hmm. Um, and if you've made a mistake, you have to admit it. Yeah, no, no. Listen, yeah. but of course, if you've made a mistake, made a mistake. Yeah. If you haven't made a mistake. Um, it goes back to this philosophy of, well, I'm out there in the black cars because I have to go to seven meetings to raise mm. all the money. But if you take that right of mine away, how are you going to pay yeah. for the lawsuits? Well, 
Yeah, I mean, this reminds me. Mark Stein was very good on this. He he. Do you remember during the Trump administration, there was a, uh, I think it was the Secretary of State for Defense was accused of having someone, the intern, walk his dog or go shopping or something. And and Mark Stein made a very good point. Do you want the Secretary of State for Defense to leave the Situation Room to walk his dog? Do you want them? To, do you want them to go shopping, or? Or should is that not the role of the intern or the personal assistant to 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 take all that away from him so that he can or she can devote all their energies to the pro to the important project? And if they want, if you're on the road all the time, if you're working ninety hours a week, why why and Project Veritas are happy with that? And as you say, you're the face of it, you're the talent, you're the CEO, you're the chief project officer, then. Then why didn't they come to you and say, "Look, let's get you a personal personal assistant on the Project Veritas dive, so you can do and focus on what you do best and what is the most important thing for Project Veritas and the most important thing for the country." Do you think the donors uh, would care if you uh, you're a, a, a had an assistant walk your dog? I don't even know if you have a dog. Uh, do you think the donors would care? I think no. The donors would applaud that. Uh, but they didn't come and ask you to do that. Well, I mean, I, I mean, many people have observed, pointed out that uh, the the amount of money that I was raising, um, I, some have said I was underpaid. I, uh, funny, uh, I saw your salary today, and I thought, compared yeah. to some other uh, not for profits I know, I believe you were underpaid. I was trying to be selfless. Like, for example, I wrote three books and I donated all the proceeds to charity. Um, I, I tried to do the right thing. I always will. I will still do the right thing. I, I felt that was the right thing to do because I was trying to be very uh, careful and cautious and, and prudent. In other words, if I used any dime of nonprofit resources to help me with my book, which I did, I had, I had some researchers, I had footnote assistants. Um, and that was a, that American Muckraker was a, was a heavy lift. It took yeah. me five years. I, I have 700 footnotes in that book, mm -hmm. 700. So... I, I spent months just making sure all the footnotes were correct, and I used Veritas. I said, if I use a dollar of Project Veritas money on this book, I will donate because I don't want to. I don't want it to be complicated with the IRS. And and it's kind of funny to say that the Project Veritas owns the rights to my own book right now. Okay, but don't brand me as selfish. Yes. Um, if you're a if you're in sales and you're raising twenty million, you're going to be a multi millionaire. You're going to be you're going to be making five percent or ten percent yes. of that money. And I was making a, even a fraction of that, so I, I tried to do the right thing. Um, and and and, uh, and of course, you, of course, you're going to fall short of that, by the way. But and that's what this independent investigation is probably going to uncover. But but people need to. Yeah, you're right. Like you, I think you were underpaid. I think I, I'm not sure that you should have donated your books to the Project Veritas. You know. Well, that those the people around me that I that I uh, surrounded myself with. Uh, um, I mean, this is the problem. I mean, everything I said in my outgoing address, which is, you know, there there was a a, a moment. I think it was February third, where one of the officers said, "You know, we're gonna we're gonna remove you as CEO." And the first thought that occurred to me, amongst many thoughts, you'd be shocked mm. if you were being removed from the. Is I thought, you know, there's a hundred things going through your head, and I said, the first thing is, what are we gonna tell the people? Do you have a press release written? Are you going to issue a a, a statement? What are you going to tell yeah. the donors? Uh -huh. And the response from this officer was, well, they don't really need to know. You're kidding me. Which was, 
so crazy yeah. and bizarre wow. of a statement. It, it was actually it, it does. Well, none of it makes any no, sense. No, I, I disagree. It makes perfect sense. In fact, that encapsulates everything. They didn't understand journalism. Well, but forget. They didn't understand the organization. Journalism. If you're if you're Pepsi Cola or if you're Exxon or if you're if you're anything, and you're going to remove the 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 person, and you're going to tell your shareholders, your stakeholders, whatever, and and it it's either the timing is it's really stupid because you don't do it days after the Pfizer story. Yeah. Or you're compromised. I have no evidence to suggest the latter. But what I asked is, what are you going to what are you going to tell people? Mm -hmm. And this this man responded, Well, you know, they don't really need to know that you're no longer. Yeah. Well, I said, Well, but but most of them want me to be the chief decision maker yeah. because they trust my judgment. Yes. So if I'm not the chief decision maker, who is the yeah. chief decision well, well, maker? Who, and, and and I see Project Veritas is, are still releasing stories. You're correct, and I see. Project Veritas are still releasing stories, but there's no name on those stories. There's no face on those stories. There's nobody standing over them except Project Veritas. So who is the face of Project Veritas? Which is another thing. Where does the buck stop with these new stories? Don't know. Yeah, and that's not... People People like to know there's someone saying this, I'm putting my credibility in the line, look at this story. So what is OMG Group? I mean, is it... Is it a traditional journalism? Is it by commission? I mean, if the Republican Party came up and com asked you to investigate something, would you do it? It's uh, just launched. It's a subscription-based news organization. We have about a dozen people right now, elite journalist team. And the mission, the vision is is slightly evolved. It's, it's now I want to empower other people to do journalism on their own. So rather than me having just my own little team and the story that we're releasing as of this recording, I don't know when you're releasing this, mm. but... Uh, um, uh, tomorrow, I'm actually releasing a story, um, and this is this is the 27th of March, so this will be tomorrow, the 28th, and it's going to be kind of a tutorial on how to go expose mm -hmm. what in your community. And I, my vision is to is to have thousands of people doing this on their own. It's not going to be easy. There's a recording laws. There's all types of yeah. ethical considerations, but I want to 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 teach people how to do it themselves. So I decentralize journalism a bit. Um, and and I that's that's the mission of of O'Keefe Media Group. Yeah, yeah. I remember like all the times we've met over the years. I remember you 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 always said your biggest hope was that someone would start copying you. Someone would set up Project Veritas that, that they would start copying what you're doing. That was your hope. This was way back when I met you and Andrew and I had the same thought, but it, I wasn't ready for it then, and I don't think I was ready for it five years ago or a year ago. I think now is the time because there's when I'm on Twitter, everyone's like, what do I do? Thousands of people message me saying, hey, I'm ready to go. Give me one of those yeah. cameras. So now it's like putting them to work. Yeah, but but yeah, but no organization has copied you. Um, there's no other Project Veritas out there doing what Project Veritas did. I mean, and, and it's partly because the right don't do journalism. And, you know, they're very good at doing kind of journalism where, oh, look at the latest outrageous thing AOC said or look what the New York Times has done. But, you know, original journalism, no one has no one has has, has done or is doing what Project Veritas was doing. They don't do original. They're journalism. very reactive. Very reactive. And they and if the and if the so-called liberal media wasn't doing anything, they'd probably sit on their ass right. and with their hands under their ass and say slow news day. Yeah. It's very difficult to be the mover of events, to That's be right. the proximate cause behind things. No one wants to break news. That's right. Even on cable news, people just talk about news that other people yes. break. That's right. So 
it get, goes back to the fear factor yes. and the commercial imperative. It's hard work too. It's hard work. Well, notwithstanding the hard work, you have to be willing to um, get flack for being over the target. Nobody wants that. There's yeah. no reason for it. You have to be a masochist to to do this. And do you like pain? Do you like defamation? Yeah. Do you like people around you? Do you like getting things wrong? By the way, sometimes you get things wrong. You know, Some, I mean, I made a couple mistakes. They're on the website there. Yeah. Not very big ones either. I've been very careful in my life. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, the Ashley, Ashley Biden, I would argue almost that you were you, you were too cautious with the Ashley Biden. Some people deck. disagreed. They thought I should have ran that. Yes, I, did not. I, I don't know the background. I don't know the complete. I don't know exactly what you knew, right? But people publish stolen documents all the time. Every New York Times document from the government, it's stolen, right? Yeah. It's not, you know, it, it didn't accidentally. Someone made a conscious decision to remove it. The, Julian Assange, these are stolen documents, you know, and stolen is a, is a, these are documents taken by someone who knows they shouldn't take them and removed for the purpose the of giving Journalists have a right to publish material stolen by somebody yes. else so long as the journalist played no part. That's right, in the that's theft. That's the language. And I, I would argue that, that that's what happened to you with Ashley Biden, but I don't know the exact background. You, in the end, you decided not to run the story and you, and, and you handed the diary back and your reward for that was the FBI raiding you at 6 a.m. This is not, this is tough work, right? Yeah. But also it, it shows the amount of Ethical consideration. Yeah, if I was you, a, a political operative that wanted to hurt Biden, I would have ran it without concern yes. or mind for the circumstances. But first of all, I didn't know if that diary was um, uh, it could have been a forgery. Yes, I mean I was very fairly certain it was real. But even if it was real, I wasn't certain that the things in the diary occurred because she wrote some things in there and. And the Biden children are deeply troubled. Yes. And the hunters, you know, troubled. They're both troubled. So I, I and then there was in this other, you know. Is Ashley Hunter's sister, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. A Funny. Most people don't realize that Joe Biden has a daughter named Ashley. She thinks she's in her early 40s. Yes. So I didn't run the story and people got angry at me and maybe some thought that I should have ran yeah. it because they thought that I had a, a, a platform where mm. it, someone else ran it. And, and uh, you know, but I, I try to oh. do the right thing. Yeah. And ethics is a very... Journalism ethics is usually situational. There's yes. no hard and fast. Well, that is rule. A, uh, that, that's why you, newsrooms are so noisy. By the way, is because yeah. people are having real conversations about real ethics, right? And that's why journalism school is normally not a great place to learn journalism because it's it's very real time. It's very situational, yeah. uh, and there's no right answer. You know, there are right answers, but you know, it things... depends upon the situation. Yes. And it sounds like immoral situational ethics, but. It is because you think about privacy. You think, well, for example, I would never record someone in the bedroom. I just don't think that that's the public has a right to know. Like if some if some if some guy's cheating on his wife, I just don't think that's that's. But if he's using taxpayer dollars and he's a U.S. senator and he uses his you know expense yeah. account to book the hotel room, okay, maybe I would do that story. But just generally speaking, I would not record yeah. that. And there are and there are lines, and there's this famous line from Ernest Hemingway, and I'm going to mess it up, but he says in the uh, he says that ethics is what is moral is what you feel good after, and what is immoral is what you feel bad after. Well, that's a very very uh, 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 generic way of viewing morality. But in journalism, it's like it's not what is moral is what you feel good after or bad after. It's it's having done the thing, it's better than if you had never done it at all. Mm. So nothing that we do sometimes doesn't make you feel good, yeah. but the world is better off yeah. after you have done it. 
So it's you have to evaluate the situation. And in undercover work, nobody, nobody likes being covertly recorded. Oh, it's terrible. Nobody likes that. But the world is often better off yes. because the public's right to know trumps all the other considerations yeah. like you're harming the person. Listen, good journalism often harms people. Totally. Yeah, I mean, it's, it is awful. And, and Anne and I, we've, we've done stories and we thought this guy could kill himself. And, and, you, and you have to think about those things, you know? I mean, you have you to You do. And, and if you know that someone, I, I've done stories where I, I, I actually didn't run it. Uh, there was a, there was an example with a Facebook story I did mm. because I knew the guy was suicidal and I blurring the face was not enough. I said yeah. I can't run it because the public's right to know is not as important as that man's life. Yeah. So people don't know these things. No, they, they, don't. they don't know that that I I yeah. do I do care and it's ultimately um, you can't be a total political hitman. No. You have to care about these issues. So OMG, then it's a media group. Are you? I mean, if let's just say the Republican Party came up to you and said, "We want to want you to investigate the new Acorn or whatever," mm -hmm. and here's here's money. Would would you be interested in that? Or is it is it a, by commission or is it? No, it's a subscription. So like, right. whereas with a five hundred one c three, you have donors. Yes. Um, I simply have a subscribe button, so people that can put two hundred dollars or. $20 a month or $500. And for $500, you can actually, for $1,000, you can sponsor one of our cameras. Yeah. So we white labeled uh, special hidden cameras. And for $5,000, you could sponsor a few. Very for $10,000, you could sponsor more. So you're basically sponsoring cameras to be shipped out to citizens and you're getting a subscription to the website. Now, the website's brand new, but eventually there'll be a paywall. Eventually, mm. I'm going to put courses on the website Brilliant. in legal, technology, ethics. So where can people find you? How do they get in touch with you? O'Keefe Media Group, O-K-E-E-F-E mediagroup.com. Okay, so o'keefemediagroup.com. That's o'keefemediagroup.com. Uh, thank you very much for taking time out of, out of your very busy schedule. I think people can probably have heard your phone ringing a few times during this, more than a few times. But I think this conversation we've been having has been important. Uh, uh, journalism is important. It's inspiring. I, I, for me, it's always a surprise to me how, why more young people aren't into journalism because of how important it is, how much fun it is. I always say that I just can't believe more young people don't love journalism. It's, it's a wonderful job. Well, maybe they will. Maybe, maybe this is a, a beginning, a dawn of a new era. Yeah, okay, hope so. This interview could have went on forever, but uh, we have to call halt to it. Thanks again, James. Um, Thank you. Bye. See you again next week. Uh, please leave your comments below. Tell, uh, you know, tell us what you'd like to tell James, what, what message you'd like to pass on, and uh, talk to you next week. Bye. Hey.